to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Adrian Smood, and he has been investing in real estate since he became an accidental landlord in 2002. And he switched his investing niche to mobile homes with land and has been following this path ever since. So Adrian, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Adrian. Can you share with us a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah. So I started, as you said, as an accidental landlord. I was being evicted is really the story. I was the terrible tenant that you never want to have. We had pudding wrestling parties, spaghetti wrestling pudding, parties. Pudding wrestling parties? Mud wrestling parties. <laughs> I mean, my friend even parked a motorcycle in the living room on a regular basis. How did basis. you even get it in the door? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I literally have a stack of eviction notices. We were not the people you want. <laughs> but it ended up being a blessing because I like to be a problem solver. And even then, when I didn't know what I was doing, I ended up buying a house. I moved my friends in that helped me get evicted. I was definitely part of the problem. <laughs> and then I became the landlord. I said, no motorcycles in the house, but we had some parties. But I lived for free. That was a golden part of it. I split my mortgage up amongst my friends, lived for free. And I said, this is really cool. Can I do it again? Well, the next time the bank said, don't worry, real estate's going to go straight up. But this time you're going to lose a little bit every month. And in a few years, you'll refinance. Well, that was at the last peak. And when I went to a refinance, the prices were coming down. I had that adjustable rate mortgage. We all know how that ended. We can read the newspapers. I was that guy. But I didn't give up because I still kept that house that my friends and I were living in. I ended up at real estate meetings. Long story short, I learned about mobile homes and that's whenever I really got hooked on mobile homes. And the next question is usually why? And it's because of the cash flow. Today it's also they're recession resistant, meaning we're in the affordable housing space. And that is the quickest I can make all my story. I am in Central Florida and I love real estate and mobile homes. Hold on. Those parties that you used to have, I'm still stuck on that, by the way. (laughs) How often do these take place? Often enough to really upset the neighbors. It's funny. We didn't even like realize what we were doing wrong. And then like now I'm just like, everything was a terrible idea. We didn't clean up and the mold started and then, we didn't think much of it. We were real young. And now I'm like, well, yeah, I understand why the landlord was so concerned. <laughs> That's a massive liability. And yeah, we had fun. <laughs> so anyone can make it. You can be a partier and you can still do well in real estate. That's the learning lesson. <laughs> so can you share a little bit more about what you're focused on today with the mobile home parks? I like to buy the single unit, which can be a double wide, single wide, but it's one unit with the dirt. So there's really three main ways to invest in mobile homes. You can buy just the home. So you own a 10 box of air and you pay someone every month to park it on their land. 
This is usually in a mobile home park. A lot of areas call it lot rent. Some places call it space rent, but you really own just the home. And those are great investments. They're really low entry points to get into. They're recession resistant, but you don't make the rules. The person that owns the land, the landlord from back in the day, they actually make the rules. Then you can own the whole park where you get to make the rules. There's two ways to run those. You can own everything, the homes, the land, everything. You own a flat apartment complex, or you can run it as a parking lot where you own just the dirt and you charge people to park there every single month. I do the little hidden niche. It's in the middle of those two where I own the single units with the dirt. And that is my main business. I have really transitioned everything over to that business. Walk us through it a little bit more. How are you finding these properties and how does this model work? We can find the properties any way that you find any property. The little secret is, is you replace the word house with mobile home. So this could be your letters, your signs on the side of the road, Google, Facebook, any type of marketing that you can do, you can do it with the mobile homes. Now, how do I find most of mine is networking. I'm a networker. I love going into social events. I love to tell people what I do. For the people that are actually watching, I have a neon yellow shirt on. When I'm in my buying area, my shirt says, my wife buys mobile homes. And I am a walking billboard at all times. I go to the real estate meetings. I like a broken record. (laughs) I buy mobile homes and I say it every meeting. So other investors are scared of them. So then they bring me leads. My other really good lead source are realtors because realtors want to help people out. And realtors get paid based on the closing price. Well, our mobile homes typically have one less zero. So they're going to make less money for the same amount of work. They don't usually want to do that. I became an information source. I help them out with whatever they need. If it's just information. And then sometimes they say, well, can you just help Sally out and buy her mobile home? I say, yes. Networking is my main way that I find my leads, but you can do it anyway. Anyway, you can do any marketing. Do you buy the land first and then put the mobile home on top of it? Or do you buy the land with the mobile home already established on it and built? Great question. So you can do both. I am too lazy to do all that moving parts of physically moving the home there. I like to, we'll say, work smarter, not harder. So I don't do that. When I do get just the vacant land, I will sell it. I'll buy it and then sell it to someone that's going to put their home on it. Would I make more money by doing all that work? Probably. I give the rest of the money to someone else, and I take what I call the easier route. I like to buy the home and the dirt already together, where all I have to do is go in, maybe make some repairs, maybe not, and... My niche that I really got grew fast with is the 1960s and 70s. I mean, those are ones that people are just scared of. Even mobile home investors are like, but you go back that old? Now, the, a new one in my world is a 1999. That's the newest one I've ever bought, which is still old to some people. But the older ones, yes, they're not as strong. They are not maybe as safe, but they're still sitting around through all of the hurricanes that we've had. They've been through more hurricanes than I've been through here in Florida. So they can still make it and you can rebuild them. So just like anything, we get educated. We're more comfortable with it. 
So can you break it down for us a little bit more? How much does it typically cost to buy a mobile home with the land on it? And then in which markets are you focused in? And then from there, what is the typical business plan? So remember, I'm in central Florida, and that's the only market I'm in. And when I even say that, I'm actually very small central Florida. I buy 30 minutes from Plant City. So I have a very tight little diamond because I have interviewed lots of my mentors, and they all eventually went to a very small buying area. I said, well, why don't I just start where they finished? I'm not going to go through all the pain that they went through. So that's why I'm in a really small area. I'm going to talk about my numbers. So of course, other areas are just going to have a, one extra zero, one less zero, but the percentages should work out, be about the same. If I am buying a really old one, let's say like a 1960s, 70s, so if anyone is watching, or if you're not, you should, there's one behind me. I actually own this one. It's a 1960 that came with most of its sighting. That one was a fantastic deal. It's one of my better, we'll say ROIs, return on my investments. I bought it for $7,500, the home in the land. We've got about, yeah, I mean, this is this is a little bit of an example, but we've got about, we'll say 25000 is in the total all-in money in it, you know, excluding financing. And it's rented for $700 a month. Oh, Those wow. Are, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you don't need a calculator to figure out that's good enough. We can do that every day of the week. <laughs> now, I don't get those deals every day of the week, unfortunately. Let's talk about a more recent and a newer home. So like a 1999. That one I spent $150,000 on. We just bought it recently, so I don't have my final numbers. But that one is probably around $160,000 all in money. And that's closing costs, rehab, the purchase of the home, again, excluding financing. And it's rented at $1,900 a month. So it's still pretty good numbers. One big difference of these two, of well, actually, we'll say two differences of them, of why why did I pay different percentages? The older one is a weaker structure. It has more risk. There is no option of hurricane coverage on it. So there's a higher risk there. The land itself doesn't have a lot of value. So there's not a lot of dirt value there. So I have a higher risk. If I have a higher risk like that, I want about a 30% return on my money. Because if the hurricane came a month later, all I have is land and people say, oh, well, you can just put a new one on there. Yeah. If you got a free one, you're looking at still about $30,000 to get a free one there. Oh, Between all the moving, the septic and well and trees. Out there. I mean, it's not as easy as people think. The newer one that I bought, the 1999, why did I pay so much? It's on 1.25 acres in the path of progress. It's a few thousand feet from a dollar general that was just built. So it's where I believe that I'm going to get cashed out by a builder one day. I call that my lotto ticket. (laughs) But until then, I'm going to get my cash flow. I am not going to buy at break even. I still have good cash flow. It's a stronger structure. I could actually sell it to somebody. It's going to get bank financing. I can get insurance on it so i don't have the big risk that i have on an older one so we we'll say we have two different worlds here i like a mix of both i'm a cash flow investor but i like lotto tickets too we love hosting this show 
When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. How about the residents who are coming to rent the properties? Is it a high demand for these types of properties? Yes, really high demand. So we are the affordable housing space. That 1900 in my area is a little bit outside of affordable housing space. It's another reason I don't love having a bunch of those because if we are in a recession, if we're going to be in one, whatever term you want to use, I just feel like at some point we're going to be in one. And it's sooner than later. It's just my personal views. If that's true, people are going to slowly move down classes of rent as somebody loses their job to household income, you know, it's just going to naturally have to happen. Well, once you get to the affordable housing space, there's really nowhere else to go. And around me, and I think a lot of the country, the affordable housing is already in big demand. So there's already demand there. We're probably going to get more. I don't want to ever risk not having income coming in. So that short sale that I mentioned earlier, I don't want that to ever repeat again. So I'm making sure I'm conservative which a lot of people think is silly to say with mobile homes, but I'm conservative in my numbers because I don't want to not be able to pay my bills again. And you mentioned the word residence over tenants, which I absolutely love because I believe residence is a better quality uh, word for who lives in our properties. Mobile homes are just like any house, any apartment. If you buy a good home in a good area, you're probably going to get a good resident. If you buy a bad one in a bad area, you're probably going to get a bad. So we buy good homes in good areas, which usually attract a good resident to come take care of the property. We love blue-collar handyman, handywomen. They take pride in living there. They love that fenced acre and a quarter yard. And they just take care of it as if it's their own, even though it's a rental. That's our main business of renting them. So what is a typical standard mobile home number of bedrooms to baths that you typically like to also purchase and the size of them? We hear most people say you got to buy a three bedroom, two bath, you know, a good school district. I'm not against any of that, but I like a little bit more cash flow. So I realized I don't need to be picky. I have a lot of two-bedroom, one-baths, which if I would have followed the traditional model, I wouldn't be having as good of cash flow. I'd say that everyone that lives in my two-bedroom, one-baths have been great residents. There are a lot of just couples that don't want kids or maybe a single parent you know, with some kids. I haven't had any issues with it around me. There's, again, a lot of demand for any number of bedrooms. We don't have any one-bedroom, one-bath. I would buy it if it's the right numbers. I'm going to want a little bit better return just because I would think it's a higher risk. But I have a lot of 
two ones, the older ones, again, when I say older, I mean 60s and 70s, you're going to have a lot more two-bedroom, one-baths. And as you get newer, there's going to be a lot more of a three-bedroom, two-baths because it's just in more demand. Also, since you're in the Florida market and you do experience quite a number of hurricanes that come around a couple of times a year, and then also you're purchasing older mobile homes, what does the insurance typically look like for these? At the minute that we're recording this podcast, Florida has a massive insurance problem regardless if it's hurricanes or not. So I'm going to kind of speak on the outside of this problem we have right now, and that's just a whole other topic. So hopefully it goes back to our norm. And if it's, it literally depends on how close to the coast it is. Closer to the water, the higher the risk, which means the insurance has stricter guidelines. So they have these wind zone ratings. Let's just kind of think of it as the year it's built. I used to be able to get insurance in my area that's closest to the coast, which is about an hour from the beach. I used to get hurricane coverage from the mid 80s and newer. So if it's under that age, couldn't get it. If it's closer to the coast, they want a newer home because it needs to hold up to better standards. But I can still get coverage if the tree falls, if there's a fire or something like that. Now, honestly, I choose to self-insure a lot of my properties, meaning all I have is liability coverage. I do not have coverage if something destroys the home. I made that decision once we already had a few handfuls of properties, a few dozen properties, because I could lose one property and not destroy me. I think it's very dangerous when you have two or three properties because, I mean, that's that's a massive amount of your portfolio. It's just a personal choice. Now, what do I do if I can't get insurance? I have to buy at a larger return on my investment to mitigate that risk. That's why I mentioned that. 30% that I want as a return on my investment, at least. Well, I'm taking a big risk of no insurance. So do you also self-manage your properties? Yes, we do. We have created a pretty good uh, management system, I I like to say. Uh, One of my mentors, David Tilney, he's the best person I've ever learned from when it comes to management. And I took a lot of his systems that he's been teaching over the years And just added my own little twist to it, a little bit of technology. And we have really good residents. We do have some properties that are not mobile homes. I rent them from the owners with the right to sublet them out. So I don't own them, but I master lease them, we call them. And those properties, I manage the exact same way as all of my mobile homes. I believe, and I can talk about management all day because I love the topic. Where I see a lot of people go wrong is they don't set good expectations. They just take the first person with money. We don't do that. I mean, we go over the lease for an hour and a half. We make sure they understand everything they're getting into. We set them up for success if they stay a really long time. They don't do that well if they stay a short time. We incentivize our residents to stay a long time, and we want them to stay for absolutely ever. Literally forever. I joke around them. I want you to move in, and when you happen to pass away, I want your kids to move in. And when they pass away, I want their kids to move in. Because we're all happier if there's no turnover. So Adrian, for you, how is investing in mobile home parks and what you're doing now, how has that impacted your life and what you've been able to accomplish and do today? Oh, it's given me an amazing life. I mean, I wouldn't have the benefits 
of being able to travel to do what I want, when I want, with who I want. If it wasn't for the income I get from mobile homes, I truly enjoy my real estate. I believe that including myself, everyone's really in the business for the benefits that you're talking about right now. You're asking me it's for those benefits. Now, again, I love real estate and the pieces of it, the management, the helping the seller, but literally the freedom to go where I want, when I want. I had a friend that she said, ah, I might need some help moving. I told her, hey, if you need any help, let me know. I'm driving seven and a half hours with a week's notice to go help a friend move. I have the freedom to be able to do that. And then this is literally, I'm, I'm going there tonight. I'm leaving for it. And she texted me yesterday. Do you think you could stay one more day? Sure. <laughs> if I had a regular job, I would, would not do that. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Because I set my business up with the intention that I want the freedom to travel, to be where I want, when I want, with who I want. And the other last piece of that, that I believe why mobile homes is, I hate saying better than another asset class, but one of the perks is we get that higher return on our investment. And most of us, our goal is to get a certain amount of money coming in to allow us to get that freedom. Well, if we have a higher return on our investment, we need less investments to get to that end result. And also, if we need less money to get to that end result, and mobile homes of what have really allowed me to do that. Have you seen with the mobile home parks and your residents, the, I know you mentioned that when you bring in the new residents, you do a lot of vetting and you talk about staying there, you know, for generations. Are you seeing that they are staying there for longer terms or are there like a more turnover that happens on across different properties? When I have a not so good property, we mentioned that earlier, and I own some of those because when I was building, I bought what I could afford, not so much what I wanted. Those have higher turnover. But when I buy that dream property that's in a great area, I would live in it. It's safe. I can send my office manager at night and feel safe with her going there alone. When I buy that property that someone wants to live in, we usually don't have very good turnover. I have a goal to be all of my mentors and my longest mentor has a resident for 32 years. Uh, so that is my goal. And I'm going to be, I would tell you, I don't have long enough data since I got really this niche built out with my residents and how I move them in. So let's talk again in 10 years so I can have some solid data. But I'd say that most of my people, over half of them are my original people. I put in the property three, four, five, six years ago, seven years ago. So I don't have that many people leave. And every time someone leaves, not the, I had a family emergency, you know, I had to leave, like something that wasn't so great. We assess the whole thing, my office manager and I, why did they leave? What could we have done better? How could we set better expectations? What, you know, we, we even ask them sometimes because I want to learn from that experience so that we can help prevent it. Cause it's not helpful for someone else to have to move every few years either. It's not good financially for that resident. And if there's one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Take more massive, imperfect action and ask for help. I didn't ask for help a lot at the beginning. I knew people wanted to help me, but I still was too shy or like, oh, well, I should know that. People that have been in the business a long time, they love to help, especially when they see someone starting out that is actually doing something. We have so many people that... Unfortunately, we'll listen to this podcast 
and never do anything. And they'll go to meetings and never do anything. So people love to help. And the massive imperfect action, you can't be successful without taking action. I love the concept in the book by Max. Oh, I just went blank on his name. The Failing Forward, John Maxwell. Uh, Failing Forward. So you take a little action and you trip and fall and then you get up and you take a little more action, you trip and fall. And I have never met anyone successful that hasn't had that path. We just think it's a straightforward. I know it's kind of cliche, but that's once I started doing that, I became more successful. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? One thing, they're not scared to fail. It's, I guess, maybe a little bit like I just reworded, but not scared to fail. And even today, I mean, I, I'm in new ventures that I'm starting and there's times I get a little scared to fail. And I'm like, no, that's actually how I got successful is by failing and then asking for help. Don't be scared to fail. Awesome. Adrian, if our listeners also wanted to find out more about what you're doing in this space, where's the best place that they can go? Then go to adrians360.com. That site has my social media. It has uh, my book. I wrote a book on the topic on how to buy mobile homes. It has my website. Anything that I have is all there. And it's a landing page. You can find me there. Shoot me a message. And if I can help you out, I'd love to help you. Awesome, Adrian. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate all of your time. You're welcome. I appreciate you having the show. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.